0: Hey, fam, welcome to Big Brother and the Hodolin Company, which is a podcast about music and web theory and trying to fend off Big Brother. I'm McKeegan Voice. Today I spoke with Caitlin Davies, who is the membership lead at FWB, or Friends with Benefits, and she does curatorial partnerships at Refraction. Both FWB and Refraction are prominent culture DAOs, or Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. Caitlin is a Lisbon-based Canadian, where she works and collaborates at the forefront of music and technology. She explores this nexus through research, facilitation, and community organizing alongside her co founded collective, CoQuo, and hosts radio shows on Refuge Worldwide and Kashmir Radio. We chatted about how her love for music, which actually started in Mude Road backstage at an Aerosmith concert. Has taken her throughout the music industry across the globe and into the wild, wild world of Web three. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation. There we go. All right, Caitlin, it's great to have you here.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I always like to start at the beginning and and understand where people came from and how their how their relationship with music started. And usually, I I keep that question pretty open ended, but but I came across a quote on your LinkedIn uh, profile that that was too perfect, um, you know, in terms of context to not include. Uh, you write, "Caitlin has been a music junkie since before she was born, thanks to her parents dragging her backstage to an Aerosmith concert in utero." and And I'd love to start there. Why were your parents backstage at an Aerosmith concert?
2: <laughs> yeah of
1: course um I'm really happy that you found that I've never actually had to talk about that line <laughs> in my bio but it's been it's been on my LinkedIn for a long time and I wonder if people I've always wondered how it like came off to people um yeah uh, both yes, of my parents yeah my parents uh really like instilled this like deep love in music for me um my dad was a big like hair Band fan um specifically van halen and he sort of over the course of i guess his early 20s became pretty friendly with their um like touring crew um and so they ended up just like actually genuinely becoming friends and whenever obviously their the touring crew wasn't always working with the same band and so whenever they would come to town like my mom and dad would uh or I guess my dad in the beginning and then my mom and dad would go uh to concerts and, and just hang out with them and they would end up backstage I guess uh and yeah that's I guess my sort of start my music claim to fame is that while my mom was pregnant with me she they went to an Aerosmith concert so I I feel like it uh yes yeah, set the tone for a lot of what I was interested in uh in my like early years, I feel really grateful that my, my parents really encouraged me to see live music and they would always go to see live music with me, even if it was like something they had no interest in seeing. Like I really grew up cool. actually like a, like a total pop music junkie. Like I went to my first actual like my first in the world concert when I was four. I went to go see Britney Spears and was oh, like God. a huge Britney Spears fan very early in life. Um, still am and uh, so I, I really like I think that this sort of like pop sensibility has really informed a lot of my work um, mm. and just this kind of really like deep love for music and and especially live music
0: mm. yeah awesome you know did your parents work in the industry at all or you know just big music heads
1: yeah just big music heads my uh dad works in like alarms and security uh my mom works in events more on like the the wedding side of things um but yeah i think i grew up in toronto in a city so i think that that in my time sort of for me growing up in a city was the most natural thing in the world because it was all i knew right and all of my friends had grown up in a city um and sort of as i've gotten older and met more people who have moved to cities or never lived in cities um i've really like gained a, an appreciation of of that perspective as well um but i i and i see now how much like growing up in a city and you know being able to from a pretty young age like go out to see gigs at more like club style venues um just because i was in the proximity to culture and i think that that's it, this idea of like being in proximity to culture has always been really really important to me
0: yeah absolutely that kind of context of like where you grew up really informs you know the art i guess that you imbibe on a regular basis you know i'm from a small town in minnesota so it like took a long time for you know me to have that proximity to culture of you know growing up in a place like toronto might give you um you know so what happened okay so you. You went to a Britney Spears concert at four. (laughs) You're already a big fan. You got in early, um, as makes sense. You went to your first concert before you were even born. Uh, You know, what was your next step toward music after that?
1: I guess uh, I was always like, again, that was really the like MTV era in Canada. We had a station called Much Music, which Mm -hmm. we were, me and all my friends were just like diehard fans for. And they had a similar program to uh, Total Request Live that MTV had, like TRL, where you could go and, like, be in the audience. And once we became, like, old enough, I guess, like, 13 or 14, like, that was, like, the coolest thing to do. Like, you would just go to a taping of this show. Sometimes there was, like, musicians there, but sometimes you would just go to, like, be, again, in proximity to it. Um, and I so I think that they just, then that kind of, Started this interest in like okay I love this thing so much and how and now I see that there's people who like make this their job like it had never really occurred to me I have I kind of have this joke that everybody who works in the music industry started off wanting to be a music journalist hmm. because I think that that's like the first thing that you see if you're like deeply interested in music or and I, I actually question this now like do people younger people growing up interested in uh, you know, coming into the music industry, now they see Spotify, and they see these conversations around major record labels. And like, this is all like in, in the news now. And I wonder, I'm super tuned into it. But I wonder now if kids or young people interested in, in getting involved, see a lot more than just the journalism side. Because I think even when I was growing up, it was like, you know, almost famous and TRL. And it was like, that was your you didn't, know really about like universal or warner or sony or maybe you did but you didn't you weren't i wasn't thinking about it that way um i was thinking of like oh i want to be a music journalist. um so i when i was in high school i did a co-op kind of like internship thing at the university of toronto radio station Mm. it was right down the street from my high school um and just was kind of helping out in their music department literally just like oh this was back in the day when like uh promotions companies and labels would just send cds to radio stations and we would have to like catalog them um mm-hmm. so that was literally my job was like opening mailers we got like hundreds and hundreds listening to them they sort of were like if it's something you like you can catalog it if it's something you don't like we sort of they were like You could take it home you can i don't think we threw anything out but um and so i started to kind of see more of the inner workings like i had never thought about the fact that like a label sent a radio station Mm -hmm, music mm -hmm. and then i on top of that i never thought about the fact that like a promotions company sent a uh radio station music and there was one promotions company in particular called audio blood and i was really interested in all the stuff that they sent it was always like really local um pretty like indie rock guitar music vibes uh, but that was what i was really into at the time and mm-hmm. i ended up contacting them and being like i would love to like intern for you or just like learn more
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so i ended up interning for them again while i was still in high school which is so funny when i look like it's a big joke like i still have a lot of friends from that time in my life and like i think i was like 16 years old and they always joke when my birthday comes around or even when my birthday doesn't come around they're like how old are you turning like 17. (laughs)
2: i'm
1: like no no time has gone on (laughs) um so that was kind of a wild ride i worked there for a few years i started studying at a university in toronto i was studying uh, the program was called uh, radio and television art now called media production, because what does radio and television art really mean? <laughs> now? Um, so I was, while I was studying, I was working there and then I got an opportunity to work full time there. Um, so I started studying part-time. And then after a few years, I just kind of had this moment of being like, Oh my God, I'm 20 years old and I'm super stressed out by work. Like this is, mm. this isn't a life. Um, <laughs> and I have a, like, so much time to figure out what I want to do. And so I left that job and kind of got pulled into the film industry, actually, like not film production, but film festivals. Um, Toronto has a really famous film festival called the Toronto International Film Festival. And it really kind of like takes over the city. It's like a huge deal, no matter like who you are, I think you can't really avoid it. So I ended up working there for a festival and just had a really nice time like it was such a fun job i worked with a great group of people and worked with a really really international group of people which i think was that was kind of the first time that i had started to see like canada and toronto are amazing i've come to like love toronto so much more that i haven't lived there for a long time um but it definitely has a big ceiling when it or a a low ceiling, but a very prominent ceiling when you're working in culture, like you can kind of only get to a certain point. And at that point, especially like when I was still in music, I realized like, even if I did go work for a major label, I was just going to be executing US marketing plans. Like, and I had no interest in doing that. I wanted like, I wanted something a little bit bigger. And then when I started working at this film festival and kind of meeting people from France and London and you know, all these different places, I was like, wow, maybe there's, maybe there's something for me out there. And at the time I had already kind of seated in my brain that I wanted to move to the UK, that I wanted to move to London. Mm -hmm. I can't really trace back why or where or when it happened, but it was kind of in my brain at that Mm -hmm. point already. Mm -hmm. And so I moved a few, like, I guess it was about a year after working at that film festival, I moved in May, 2016 to London. Um, And Yeah, kind of serendipitously fell in with some, like, great people. I knew, like, I knew, like, two people when I moved there. (laughs) And both of those people just turned out to be, like, amazing friends. Um, One of them really got me involved in, like, film stuff. Um, So more film festivals. I worked for the BFI, the British Film Institute, for one of their festivals. Um, And then the other friend ended up being just, like, a great resource for, like, uh, she, she works in music. Um, so like, again, proximity to music people, um, and also just like a great friend. We had like, uh, a lot of fun while I was living there. In mm-hmm. uh, um, so I, and I, I say that because I know that, uh, and I guess maybe you can relate to this as having moved there recently yourself. Um, but everybody has like a different experience when they move to London. And I think some people find it really alienating and hard mm-hmm. to like, figure out what's going on. Um, and I feel really that that I totally give that up to luck, like that the situation that I had happened because I really like fell into um, a great group of people and um, found some really interesting work quite quickly. Um, so like I said, I was working on this festival for the BFI, the London Film Festival. And then I was like, I am around all these people who have such a passion for film and I love film, but what I really love is music, and the way that I hear these people talk about film is how I want to, like, this is how I feel about music. Hmm. So I was kind of feeling this, like, itch to get back in, Um, and again, that's sort of another, like, lucky stroke. I had applied for a job at Boiler Room, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but yeah, like a, yeah. yeah DJ streaming company, um, mm-hmm. media platform, I guess now, um, all of that makes it sound so awful, actually, want to describe <laughs> it like that, if you hear me say Boiler Room, just Google what Boiler Room,
2: is. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know what it
1: is, don't take any of what I just
2: said,
1: <laughs> um, and yeah, I had applied for a job there, and they got back to me, and so I started interning there, and then pretty quickly started working there um which was like just like a huge like whirlwind of a time it was like a great company to work for and uh a, it, like just everybody at Boiler Room had um something going on you know everybody else, everybody like ran a club night or ran a super cool record label or was a DJ or like it was like super fun and that like again every weekend i had something to do and a great group of people to do it with um, so then like the next year or so was pretty kind of chaotic. I was like back and forth from like London and Toronto. And I went to New York with boiler room for a bit. Um, it, I was just kind of like back and forth and a lot of things changed really quickly. Hmm. Um, so fast forward to, I guess, like a year later, 2018, um, I was back in London, still working at boiler room the situation with my visa was getting quite challenging. Um, so I decided to move to Berlin. Um, I knew a few people there. I was just like, I'm not ready to go back to Canada. Berlin seems like the place for me. Um, and thought I was only gonna be there for like a year, ended up staying for four years. Uh, worked initially at a record label called K7, and then pretty soon after transitioned into a role at SoundCloud doing like digital operations. um, And I worked there for three years. And I would say that that was kind of my real turn into tech. I had never worked um, so explicitly with or for a tech company before. Mm -hmm. I'd been kind of exposed to product teams at Boiler Room um, and have always had a general like interest in the way that like technology and, and music technology and culture in general um, sort of inform each other. Um, But that was the first time I had kind of like, you know, worked on a team that had like standups and retrospectives and just Mm -hmm. really like, and so many of the people that I worked with um, or who worked in the SoundCloud office in Berlin were like engineers, you know, they, they knew about music, but like not in the way that the people at boiler room knew about music. So that, but that was a really interesting experience actually to go from like SoundCloud Soundcloud was by far like the biggest company I've ever worked for and um yeah like the most non I always said like that was a tech company that happened to have a focus on music it wasn't a music company right um I'm sure maybe some people have different opinions and I think depending on where you work in the company that that position is different but I feel like first and foremost um Soundcloud is a tech company um and then I guess like, should I go, I feel like this is where the kind of web three thing starts to creep in a little bit and why I bring up the tech stuff, should I go into that?
0: Yeah, yeah, I would love to hear just like, you know, being in SoundCloud and you and, know, and I know after that is kind of the moments where you start you know, to get into FWB and some of the other, you know, web three work that you've done. So I'd love to understand just kind of what that moment was, what were your first, like, what were the initial threads of, you know, Web3 that were coming to you that, you know, made you take the leap?
2: Yeah.
1: So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I had kind of started studying part-time at uni and, uh, I was still studying up until like 2021. Um, and I was just doing it like very, very, very part-time and in the pandemic ended up, kind of finishing off the tail end of my course and I thought I was going to have to go back to Toronto to do that but because of the pandemic I was able to stay in Berlin um and do it remotely so the kind of final piece to that was writing a dissertation Mm -hmm. and I wrote it about the effects of platform capitalism on the music industry most specifically the music or the recorded music industry Mm -hmm. um and I conducted a few interviews with some very smart people uh i spoke to matt dryhurst mm-hmm. uh who hosts the Interdependence podcast with his partner holly herndon i'm sure most of the people listening to this probably know who that is uh david turner who writes an amazing mm-hmm. music industry newsletter called penny fractions and also happened to be a colleague of mine at towncloud right, right and uh liz pelly who writes just really i think like amazing uh, has a really really interesting conception of of this sort of topic and she's actually writing a book about it now but um I had just read a lot of her writing mm. online before and I kind of tried to frame the interviews and frame my writing in general as like less of a like this this sucks we're all doomed and sort of more of a like how did we get here what is the state what
2: are
1: what state are we in and how like what can we look towards because this shouldn't just all be doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. And Matt was the one who was like, DAOs, Web3, Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what are you, like, I remember literally like Googling the word DAO while we Mm -hmm. were speaking and spelling it more like Dow Jones, like DOW. Like I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, (laughs) but Uh, I guess I should probably look into this. And I ultimately didn't end up writing anything about Web3 in that paper Mm. because it just, I was like, oh my God, this is a whole new thing. Mm. And there's, you know, I'm trying to finish this paper, not like write 10 more pages. Mm. Um, So I kind of like parked that, finished the paper. And then right around that time, February, 2021, I had a knee surgery. Mm. uh, And so I was in bed for like, 6 weeks and that was like right at the time of the sort of crazy NFT boom the like beeple the grime the blau like all of these big huge sales that mm-hmm. everybody was writing about um and I was like okay well I have nothing better to do so I'm going to learn everything there is to know about this hmm. so I just started like listening to tons of podcasts this was still pretty like in the throes of the pandemic so there was tons of like People were doing like YouTube panels and it just felt like every day there was like something new written, something new to listen to. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to like absorb as much of it as I could. And sort of what I realized like right off the bat in a lot of the discussions was that one of the big challenges was that like, how do we make this, how do we bring more people to the table in these conversations? Because sure, we can build a new internet but if it just looks like the old internet if we just sort of like recreate the mark Zuckerbergs and the jeff Bezoses of the world like what is the point of that right. um it's like how do we bring a more like um diverse group of voices to the table and how do we make sure that the people that are that we hope uh use this technology actually benefit from it so you know there are hundreds and hundreds of artists who have genuinely benef- benefited from Spotify, even more who have benefited from TikTok, but mm-hmm. they don't ever see the kind of close in the value chain. You know, like they they generate so much value for mm-hmm. these platforms, mm-hmm. but they never see the back end from it. Like they don't get checks from like they're not shareholders in Spotify, they're not shareholders in
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Byte Dance. You know, like they uh, maybe sure they're getting value through like record deals or brand partnerships or stuff, but they're not, they're never seeing kickbacks from these platforms in the way that, you know, uh, I would argue a lot of people in, and I think a lot of people in Web3 would argue that like, this is how these are kind of more equitable ecosystems. Um, but so how do we get those people? Like, how do we close that value loop? And how do we make sure that those people, these artists, these creative thinkers are here mm. from the very beginning? Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to just build, um, build tools that no one's going to use. Um, so that was kind of the first thing that I was starting to re- like glean from a lot of this information I was absorbing. And then the second thing was is like how technically complicated it was, and how every conversation I was listening to like immediately dove into like gas fees and the environmental impact and uh second layer chains and like all of this stuff that i was like this is really interesting and i think important that these discussions are happening but i also think that like if this is kind of going over my head a little bit and i am like deeply invested and interested in this Mm -hmm. like my artist friends are not going to care they're going to be like i'm just going to upload to spotify because that's easier you know um so I think this sort of like double-pronged problem that I was seeing, it uh, inspired me to apply for this grant through the Music Board in Berlin, um, kind of investigating what new technologies could do for the music industry. Primarily, I was looking specifically at um, NFTs and at um, like avatar technology, which I guess could technically, would probably technically now fall under like a metaverse
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, category. Although like I've always hated the word metaverse, so I probably would have always focused it around like avatars and digital identity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I ended up getting that grant and I hosted like a series of workshops um, and panel discussions online in the summer of 2021. Um Matt Dryhurst was part of it, uh, Sherry Hu was part of it, the new models crew were part of it. Um, Trevor McFedries, the founder of FWB, was part of it. So I just it kind of it, it gave me this opportunity to kind of um I mean, I'm really like proud of the work that uh I I did with that and the sort of I think it's funny now to like I've watched some of them back and been like wow, the like discussion has gone so much further than mm-hmm. this now. Um but Yeah, that was sort of kind of my, like, initial, like, foray into the space. Mm -hmm. Um, And from that, I had had my eye on FWB for a while. Um, There was a point in time where you could join the server. And if you weren't holding tokens, all you could see was the introductions channel. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, all the, like, smartest people on the Internet are in here. Mm -hmm. I need to find out a way to get in. Um, But at the time, it was, like, a little bit cost prohibitive for me. And I was just kind of keeping eyes on it. So after I did this panel series, I was like, you know, I gotta put my money where my mouth is, I'm doing it, I'm joining. So I joined FWB um, and that was, FWB is friends with benefits um, for those who are not familiar. And I pretty immediately started contributing to the membership team, Um, FWB has if you want to join FWB, you have to apply for membership, um, and there's a committee of uh, members who vote on those incoming applications. So that was kind of my initial contribution to FWB, and then I just sort of started getting more and more involved in um, on the membership side of things. And then yeah, this timing kind of brings us to beginning of last year when I was starting to feel like I wanted to leave Berlin. I wanted to leave. SoundCloud, um, like I was doing, kind of all of this in my part time or in my spare time, um, and so then I think I, I was just like, "Look, I'm going to make the jump. I don't really know what's going to happen here. I hope that I can keep contributing to FWB and and contribute in a more on a more full time basis." Mm-hmm. I had also just started contributing to another DAO called Refraction, which for those not familiar primarily focuses on um, like digital art and music intervention both online and all over the world um so i was sort of like i i feel i have a hunch here um that maybe i can make this work um so i just kind of made the jump uh came to lisbon in spring of last year and yeah i've just been yeah full-time DAO contributor ever since um i feel really lucky in the course of the last year because of sort of i guess my experience in both the music industry and in the sort of DAO world. Um, I've really, like, I've had the pleasure of um, hosting tons of workshops and presenting lectures at uh, sort of like institutions and festivals all over uh, Europe and North America, which has been really, really amazing um, to kind of talk through these ideas in real time with Mm -hmm. um, artists and other thinkers. And it's been really cool to, again, sort of this need that. I or this problem that I I'd identified was like sort of like technical onboarding side of things. Um, so I worked with uh, someone named Bass Grass-Meyer, uh at the beginning of last year and we presented a workshop at Sonar in Lisbon. Sonar is like a music and uh, again, digital art festival, primarily like electronic music, but they also have a, a more like educational panel talks workshops program. And we presented A sort of like two hour, um, how would I even call it? Like presenting decentralized tools to a group of people who were interested in uh, learning more. So we essentially had people create and mint NFTs and then used those NFTs to access a private channel in a Discord. So kind of just putting the tools in people's hands um, and then seeing how people started to connect the dots from there. Um, We ended up kind of um, adapting the workshop and presenting it again at Sonar in Barcelona a few Mm -hmm. months later. Um, And then I've since kind of adopted the workshop and um, kind of changed the format a little bit. Uh, But it's been really cool to like have people just, I think Baz and I talked, uh, you know, early last year as we were developing the um, workshop that, the moment that it really like clicked for us, our aha moment was when we had our hands on the tech, you know, when we like downloaded a rainbow Mm -hmm. wallet and bought crypto and joined a DAO and like saw it all happen. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And
1: it's, it's hard to get people to that place in a meaningful way. And I think, you know, so many of the questions I get are like, how do I start? And there's obviously a lot of people who really like stay clear of the whole ecosystem entirely. And I respect the decision to do so, but there's also so many people who are just like, we're interested, but like, where do we start? And like, what is a wallet? And like, what is Ethereum? And what is a side chain? And I, I really enjoy kind of participating in those conversations. And then uh, with this kind of workshop that I was uh, working on last year, putting, that technolo- putting the technology into people's hands.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for diving into that. And yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, to your point of when it comes full circle and when they, you know, the understanding starts, you know, starts to sink in is like when you dive into the tech, at least a little bit and kind of see see how it works. Otherwise, it's kind of this abstract idea that you kind of read about in the news and you hear words like Ethereum and Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera, um, and NFTs and DAOs but you know until you actually see you know see how the soup is made you know it's it's like you know it takes that to really you know kind of grok what what it is and and you know i'm curious like you've you you know you've touched a lot of different sides of the music industry and i love like you know how you preface that of like you, you know it really takes like going to work at at, you know, like a college radio station or something like that. And like to to really expand what your understanding of like how many different pieces, you know, the music industry is. And, you know, it sort of reorients your mind of like all the different possibilities and all the different factors. And it's, it's this, you know, really massive complex network of things. And, you know, I think one of the more more exciting moments in web three have kind of happened over the past half year in the bear market, because, you know, a lot of the speculation You know have left a lot of people who are interested in this space because of the speculative nature of of everything being financialized you know inherently because the token um and since that's left like there there are so many interesting projects and, and the people here are still building and still working and the communities that have stayed are the ones who really care about what's what's happening and envision like a more equitable world um and you know specifically, as it relates to music, i'm 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 curious, like, given your your experience across all of these different domains within the within the industry, what um, what are you most excited about that's happening right now in music and web three? Where do you see going over the next few months? I know you identify technical onboarding as this you know as this gap uh, you know between web three and and like a greater adoption. You, you know, do you still think that's the case in music? What else is happening? That, like, where, What are you most excited about now? Over the next year, what do you think, you know, how is this space, you know, going to continue to evolve and mature?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's one that um, I won't say difficult to answer, but it feels like a very like nebulous answer still mm-hmm. in my brain, because it's something that I talk a lot about that, you know people think about like how do we bring royalties on chain how do we bring a record label on chain and that thinking is valuable but it's also like super i use this word like skeuomorphic which okay. is this idea that we're just like porting um what we know from one model to or one technology to another yes. so like skeuomorphic design is like why the camera app on your phone looks like a camera, why the calculator app, like, looks like a calculator. Mm -hmm. And that, like, makes a lot of sense for calculators and cameras. (laughs) But I think that if people just constantly keep trying to be, like, music industry, on-chain, traditional music industry, on-chain, like, that's never going to work. Mm -hmm. And I think that so you see a lot of that trying to be built and you see a lot of it trying to be built by people who have no idea what the state of the music industry, like the recorded music Mm -hmm. industry actually is. People are like, yeah, we can just like import metadata on chain. And you're like, you know what music metadata looks like and how messy it is and how what it like. That is sort of like something that's really plaguing the more traditional music industry. So what? there's a lot of problems that need to be solved before we should even be thinking about that, I think. Mm -hmm. And also like, I think right now, especially in the web three music space, you see a lot more like independent artists experimenting, which I think is amazing. But you also, the reason for that is because of pretty like prohibitive contracts that labels management companies have artists sign. And right now I think that I don't think that there's truly an example of somebody who has had a widespread, sustainable music career without tapping into the more traditional distribution markets. Even if like, I think people are always like, well, what about Chance the Rapper or like things like this? And yes, that's true. But like all of these artists have some sort of, even if they own the label, Universal distributes it. Or, like, there's some sort of connection to the more traditional label industry um, across the board, even if it's not with majors, even if it's with more indies. And I don't think that, like, right now, the sort of Web3 ecosystem acknowledges that. Um, And I think that, for me, people should be thinking about Web3 and music as, like, additive, not replacing current industry structures like i'm of the opinion that so when i was writing this dissertation about platform capitalism a lot of my friends were like so what i should just delete my spotify Hmm. and i was like no no that's not the point like i think that i i still have a spotify account that i use all the time Mm -hmm. but i am actively invested in trying to
2: I'm,
1: i'm actively investing in other forms of music consumption whether that's like Bandcamp or buying gig tickets or buying uh music NFTs. I really don't have very many, but like I think that there's something interesting in thinking of it as additive and not not replacing traditional structures. And so, and I think that if we think about it in that way, there's just gonna be all of these like amazing things that pop up when the technology is like in the hands of artists and they can be like, there's this weird thing that I've always wanted to do. And it's not really a label. and It's not really a music magazine and it's not really a social media site, but it's this Mm -hmm. and I want to use this infrastructure to do it to me. That's really cool. And that's like why I feel like I have conversations like this one, because I'm of the hopes that people who are way more creatively minded than me will have problems that they use web3 infrastructure to solve mm. um and so i think i point to projects like song camp which i i think you've spoken to Matthew time
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, from that project and i'm interested in like the the holly plus dow which mm-hmm. matt dryhurst and holly herndon work on uh i'm really interested in water and music which is like a more i guess they started as more of like a uh a music newsletter and now it's kind of expanded into this wider community and like research network you know i think it's hard to talk about what any one of those like those three projects i just mentioned it's really hard to talk about what any one of those three projects are because like (laughs) it's kind of a record label and it's kind of a music collective and it's kind of a research group but like these are all kind of like new ideas that um they're that people are like utilizing Uh, new infrastructure for and I think I just hope that people continue to investigate new new ways of of thinking about um of thinking about the technology and not just trying to port it from one you know kind of medium to another so I'm interested in like in projects like uh in projects like that I'm I think in the next year like I really hope to see some more um, I guess, archival uses of the blockchain. Like I've heard sort of the argument for and against blockchains as interesting archival tools. I think mm. when you can't change an archive, that is like a great thing and also a, a bad thing. Um, but then when you can also, I don't know, kind of enable new structures to um, be able to govern that archive. So like traditionally archives live In museums and universities, and who the way that they're collected is probably decided on by a very small group of people.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And I think it's interesting to expand our ideas of like what an archive can be. Can an archive live on the internet? Can more than one person or more than uh, a small group of people uh, govern that archive and, and what goes in it?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, the archival one is really interesting to me, and it brings up, you know, questions around, uh, you know, as you're saying, like there there are many pros and cons in terms of like, you know, the idea of permanence and having uneditable, you know, histories, which is on one hand really really important, on the other potentially problematic depending on who has access. And like if it's on a public permissionless blockchain, and like if anybody can add to these repositories of information, then that's when they become problematic. But you know, but I also love, you know, everything else you're saying about the communities that you're interested in. And I think it sort of speaks to what first attracted me to Friends with Benefits, for instance, is it you know similar to, you know, what Water Music is doing, as it like grew from Sherry's writing and the community that she was building into what it has, or like or like with Matthew, you know, like taking his music and this idea of like having participated in a song camp and like making it collaborative and open minded. Um this these experiments that that just you know take place and it's it's impossible to predict what's going to happen and when you have you you know when you approach it like you know I think like both of them did in in with without an ego and just like without knowing what's going to happen but you know full willingness to collaborate around this you know shared vision for something that is more more equitable um you know, crazy shit happens like Song Camp wild. Like the stuff that's happening in Song Camp is wild. You know, Camp Chaos was crazy. Water and music is, you know, so much. I feel like there's like you know, the amount of content that I get from water and music of just like seeing these incredibly detailed research is it's amazing. It's it's amazing. It's such an incredible resource for the music industry.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to consider like the the emergent style of both of those mm-hmm, mm-hmm. projects in particular like no tech bro would have thought let's do a decentralized song camp because they wouldn't even know what a song camp was right and uh, again nobody like sitting in silicon valley would be like we should start like a research network specific like to a very specific corner of the music industry you know like those things have to come i think from like the ground up right. and i think that that's what is interesting about web3 tools is that they hopefully allow um allow people to kind of run with those ideas from the ground up and and build more um kind of sustainable infrastructures around them like i think anybody who has collectively organized and i think when people think of collective organization they often think like political collective organization which absolutely is a huge part of it but i think like Collective organizing is like deciding where a group of people go for dinner, you know? And so I think that even even in these kind of like really like micro scale, like deciding where to go for dinner, you realize like how immediately like social and power structures come into any sort of decision making. Mm-hmm. And then to kind of expand the metaphor a little bit, like I've always been involved in um, like collective organizing in... uh maybe collective organizing is the wrong word like it's sort of uh, operating in a collective space in the music industry so i've been a part of a music collective called she said so for a really long time i started a music collective when i was working in berlin sort of focused like at the intersection of like music art science and technology and it's hard it's hard to to make decisions when it's not just about where you're going to go for dinner but like what is the sort of aesthetic quality that we're going after how do we value art how do we show that um how do we you know express the ways that we value art and yeah like what art is it that we value and that's a really like personal choice and it can be really hard to uh, find ways to come to consensus or or just make decisions around that and I think that as things scale and get bigger. I've, I've had some conversations recently about like when you start a collective so quickly people will kind of come to you thinking that there's like job opportunities and you're like this is not a job. Yes, sometimes we get paid for the work that we do but oftentimes it's you know like us going out and applying for grants or you know approaching brands or applying for residencies. It's not like there's no like job Listing here, which which makes the whole thing really precarious and obviously only accessible to people who have the the time and frankly like the money to to operate in that space. You know, I had to have a full time job at SoundCloud to also operate a collective. You know, like I couldn't just that there there was just no way to like make that sort of end me. But I think what um, Web three tooling allows people to do is allows people to kind of grow their collectives organizations whatever you're going to call them in a way that like gives people some sort of ownership but and and ownership is a really huge part of you see people just i think people can understand like you treat an airbnb differently than a house that than your apartment different from a house that you might own you know like i think that the the things or you or you treat your I'm trying to think of even like a smaller scale example, like you treat the things that you own very differently than the things that you like rent or mm-hmm. interact with occasionally. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a layer of, of Web3 that I'm interested in because you can grow that and sort of, um, yeah, this like identification element of it, like identifying as part of a group, identifying as sort of like part of it in, in an ownership way, I think is really important and, and will help I think organizations just grow or if growth is not the um if if growth isn't like a deciding principle just finding ways to 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 decide on things to decision make better.
0: Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Um and you know, again coming back to FWB, um th- that was one of the most intriguing things to watch play out in real time was just like how How everything was being flipped on its head you know like these very traditional narratives are like you know in the web2 world especially uh you know if you want to build a product if you're a founder you you identify a problem you piece together a product you build a prototype you show it to people people give you feedback you iterate you show it again you iterate and then you know over time you hope that you have something you can go find product market fit and you can build a community around it and then what what was happening with FWB is like okay we're gonna get all these people together who are of the same mind or at least like behind this vision that that uh, that we have and let's build a community let's come into community and then ask ourselves which problems we had and we we build the product and we already know that we all want this product and then from there you can grow that and through and of course like there's you know there's so many questions like you know how much do you truly decentralize? How do you build consensus? At what point does it become overkill to ask like, what colors should we make our logo? Like, you know, like how expensive do you make that decision? Um, but the but the way that narrative was flipped, it gives you so much more, more more collective power. Um, and and even like you know when when have to be be accepted you know accepted external funding like flipping that. Narrative of saying like, no, we're not going to pitch to VCs. VCs, you pitch to us, and we'll decide whose money we want to take, and how and what those terms should be. And that's incredibly powerful when done right. And like, like seeing that happen and just like these experiments happening really like you know kind of laid the groundwork for what this kind of collective action can look like is, you know, is really exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, and I think you know on your point of like decentralization, like some. I'm sort of of the mind that things are, we're working towards decentralization, but mm. like across the board, across the space, I don't talk about like FWB or refraction or any any sort of project in particular, but that like decentralization is something we're working towards. Mm. At this point, it's probably distributed at best. Mm. Um, and then like when, when you think about like a, a DAO, which is like a decentralized autonomous organization, like when I also think about autonomy, I'm like, is autonomy really what the world needs right now? Yeah. Um, like, should it be like sort of one person for themselves all the time? Yeah. Like, I think that uh, I, I'm i sort of, I, I don't, maybe troubled is the right word around the sort of concept of autonomy. And I wonder if there's just kind of ways that we can um, uh, collectively govern and, and make decisions and um, sort of come to, like identify like you said problems together um is there a way that we can do that and not have like autonomy uh be at the forefront of that i i don't know and i think it's i think it's interesting too like i think i i'm interested in autonomy because it sort of like i think allows you to um reject individualism but act of your own accord and make decisions in the way that you want to make decisions. And in the way that, you know, if, if you, you know, tried to put a proposal up in a DAO to fund your own project, it would immediately get shut down because Mm -hmm. people would be like, well, what's the benefit for all of us?" you know? Mm -hmm. Um, or like, how does this, how does this benefit the wider community? So I think that there's, that's a really interesting cross-section of trying to like work through this autonomy that like you can do that. You can put up a proposal, but it's not that that's not really how it's going to play out for you. Mm -hmm. And so, but, and, and I think that even just having the ability to do that is interesting, but I wonder, I wonder around this idea of, of autonomy and is there, um, Sort of, yeah, a more cooperative way that we can we can think about about things.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, that feels right. That feels like the right word. You know, I think cooperative is like, you know, it's a structure that's been around for a couple hundred years, and and it feels less, I guess, about autonomy and more more about agency and and uh, working towards something collectively. It's like you don't have to do it and you can't like like there are there are parameters in place to restrict you from acting out of your own individual wants and desires it's much more difficult to be selfish actor um, but you have the agency to to put something forward and you know work collectively to you know potentially enact it
1: I mean, it's maybe not more difficult to be a selfish actor because there are absolutely selfish actors in the space, but it's more difficult to succeed with those uh, ambitions, I guess. Um, And I think there was something you said before too, I wanted to pick up on like around like, what color is our logo? Mm -hmm. And like, I think that every, people think about DAOs and they're like, especially from more like uh, traditional like tech or like agency backgrounds. And they're like, wow, this sounds great. And I'm like, it is, but it is also like, it, uh, you know, tech especially really prioritizes like productivity
2: mm-hmm. and like,
1: how can we do things? How can we do things faster? How can we do things like in a more streamlined way? Mm-hmm. And DAOs are absolutely not the most productive way to work, mm-hmm. you know, because you have a whole community to to work with and answer to if you, if you have ideas that you're trying to bring to life, which mm-hmm. I think is amazing. And I think it really encourages this much like slower way of organizing. And I think we're so preoccupied with with productivity and doing things fast that like DAOs actually force us to slow down a little bit and maybe be uh, mm-hmm. more intentional about what we're doing, which yeah. I think can it, I think is a net positive no matter how you spin it.
0: Absolutely. I agree. You know, so amidst all of this and everything going on, you, you know, again, coming back to your career and, you, you know, the time you spent with music and the time you spent in Web3, you know, over the next few years, you know, which direction do you want to lean in?
2: Oh, that is a good question. Probably one that keeps me up in. <laughs> um, I mean,
1: great question. I mean, I think that I'm still... me think about this
0: though what
1: direction do i want
0: to (laughs) i kind of put you on the spot you don't you don't have to give me anything too too nuanced or anything
1: no no it's okay i think i'm really interested in like participating in different types of organizational structures and i think from the beginning you know from the college radio days like i've i've worked for small companies big companies for profit not for profit collectives Dow's like I'm really interested in different types of organizational structures, and I hope that I can continue to experiment in that way. Like I think that, and i I think that that interest lends itself very nicely to Web three infrastructures, or maybe vice versa. Web three infrastructures lend themselves quite nicely to experimenting with new new e- experiments in organize like organizing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I really hope to kind of continue. Continue down that road. Um, like I said, this like archive idea is something that is like really, really top of mind for me. You know, at its core, like the blockchain is just a big database. And is there something interesting that we can do with this idea of, of collective databasing, collective archiving? I think archives are increasingly important. I think even like the other day, I was having a conversation with a friend. I think we were talking about, like, the emo revival, like, Gen Z, like, loves Y2K and, uh, you know, this kind of, like, emo culture, and now there's kind of, you know, tons of bands and artists popping up that are, that sound like everything I was listening to when I was a teenager, and, like, the, the feedback loop is getting tighter and tighter between, um, you know, my friend and I, in this conversation, we were like, well, we were, there was definitely a time when we were teenagers where we were like leg warmers and surely our parents (laughs) thought that was ridiculous. (laughs) But like the, the feedback loop is much tighter than like 80s to mid 2000s. Now it's like, uh, you know, even like blog house and indie sleaze is making a revival. Like Mm. that was 10 years ago, you know? And I think if we're not in constant, I think if we are in constant communication with an archive, that is really beautiful because Mm. you can like, Really easily trace back you know the the roots and the history of stuff now, but if you're not in communication with that archive and you think that you are reinventing the wheel every time, it's just going to i don't know it's going to lead to more um individualism it's going to like lead to people feeling like more alienated and lonely where I think that uh, I think that no matter like where you sit in the world, how you feel about web three, like this idea of like vulnerability, intimacy, loneliness, like that's something that everybody I think is thinking about in Mm -hmm. like a sort of post pandemic or new normal world, whatever we're calling it now. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: especially sort of with the kind of rate and pace that the internet moves at now. And I guess, I just hope that people, I think communication with an archive, I think experimenting with different ways of organizing allows, and, and just moving slower allows you to kind of like engender more intimate relationships with the people around you, with the art you like. Um, and I hope that people kind of don't give up on
0: it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, oh, I love that. That feels like a beautiful place to leave things. Hope. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it's been, it's been a great conversation and I, I appreciate the sort of like pace of going from the very beginning to perhaps the future.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, I do have one more question for you. Actually, mm-hmm. there's a one and a one, a, and it's removed mostly from everything we've talked about the one a is, uh. Did you become an Aerosmith fan?
2: Mm, Good question.
1: I mean, like dream on amazing song. Yeah, it is. Otherwise, like walk this way. Actually, I will say that like the Aerosmith run DMC uh, walk this way. I guess that was sort of like the first ever mashup. It's sort of seen as like a very early um, foray into remix culture. Mm. So yes, Yes, I. If, if that is what makes me an Aerosmith fan. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Okay, cool. Um and the other question. Uh you're going to a desert island, you get to bring three three albums with you, what are they?
1: Oh my god, that is <laughs> tough. I feel like I've worried that somebody would ask me this question and I would not be prepared. <laughs> um I think the like obvious corny cheesy one is uh, rumors by Fleetwood Mac, nice. like constant rotation, probably for the last like fifteen years of my life. and and I find new things in it every time I listen to it mm. um, definitely a Patty Smith record, probably horses just nice. because that's like where um, where I kind of started my journey into into Patty Smith, but maybe wave wave or horses. Mm. um, and probably d'angelo's voodoo just because that again that that album like comes to me i won't listen to it for like months and months or even years and then i'm just like oh my god i have to listen this like tough tie between uh voodoo and erica badu baduism
2: Mm. i think
1: like kind of of the same era of this kind of like neo soul vibe um but i think that if I was on a desert island, I think both those albums would, would give me a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Those are great answers. And I haven't listened to D'Angelo in a while, so that's what I'm going to do the rest of the day. Thank you for the inspiration.
1: No, nice. yeah, love to love to hear it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Okay, so that's, that's all I've got. Before we sign off, though, you know, where's the best place for people who are listening you know, you know, to follow your work and or get involved in any of the projects that you're working with?
1: Yeah, I am always online. Uh, I'm on Twitter. It's Caitlin M Davies. Uh, I'm on Instagram, just Caitlin Davies, no M. Uh, I'm working on a website, so hopefully we'll be able to direct folks to there soon. But uh, as of yet, those are the two best places to find me. Uh, I am also pretty constantly online in Friends with Benefits uh, in our Discord server. So uh, if you're interested in joining hit me up hopefully see you in the server at some point uh and i'm also in the refraction discord server pretty pretty frequently the water music discord server i'm on discord a lot (laughs) uh so yeah those are the best places to
0: find me awesome cool well caitlin it's been a great conversation thank you so much for your time
1: thank you so much for having me hope to talk soon
0: all right that's it for this episode of big brother and the hodling company I'm your host, McKeegan Voice, and you can keep up with me and all the latest Web3 music trends on Twitter at McKeegan. That's M-A-C-E-A-G-O-N. This show is a production of Decentral Media. And you can visit us at Decentral.io. And remember, only you can prevent and fend off. Big brother.